series called Trees and Ladders, and before I do that, I want to let you know I got a clean bill on my stress test this week, so I want to get that out of the way. Um, I didn't know this. Stress tests do not reveal 50% or less, uh, less than 50% blockage, but uh, I, I'm not 50% blocked, okay? So I'm not that. I meet with the cardiologist this week. I, you know, I appreciate a couple things on this. I obviously, I, I've been living with this uncertainty since early May. In the initial stage, I thought, I don't need to share this with the church. Uh, first of all, I don't want every recipe known to man suggested to me in the next few months. I don't mean to be ungrateful, but uh, but uh, that is like people have this stuff happen all the time. But when this whole thing came up, I knew I needed to thank you for how respectful you've been. Thank you for the prayers. Um, I, I don't feel done yet, so uh, I'm I'm really thankful for the prayers because only only heaven knows what is wrought on earth by prayer, right? Uh, the fact of the matter is that I might have had blockage, but I've got a thousand people praying for me, so there's that. You know, I, I don't know. It's just a, it's the great adventure of prayer. I mean, if you're not if you're not a a prayer, it's just the greatest adventure known to humanity. And thank you for that. I, I treasure it. And I appreciate it. So on to the cardiologist this week to get the clearance to have the bi the biopsy, and then we'll see what's next. But um, uh, I just can't help but to thank you, Southbrook, for that. It's a very it's a very uh, in any way being being vulnerable is a very publicly is a very thing, and uh, thank you for how you stewarded that so far. I, I appreciate it very much. Uh, today, though, we start a series. Uh, once a year, we do what we call a Player's Box series. This one has a couple of purposes to it. It's, it's, it's really, um, it, it applies to everyone, but it really is to help parents, too. Uh, it's a subtext of it. Uh, it helps us regenerate why we're turning our facility into a, a student facility for six days a week. That's why we're in the process of that, and we'll give you more updates on that as this series unfolds. But it's really, this series at its core is to help us all get recalibrated on what is success. What is it really? And what Jesus has to say about it and what your culture, students that you're growing up in has to say about it could not be more different. It could not be more different. As many of you know, we were greatly influenced a few years ago when uh, sports writer Kate Fagan wrote her book, What Made Maddie Run. And it is the tragic story of Madison Holleran, who was a student at the at University of Pennsylvania. And her life ended in tragedy. Here's this all-American girl, tremendous athlete, tremendous student. And I remember the first time I read that, and uh, I... I came across, as a teacher, we're always looking for images that intersect with scripture to give people this way of the right side of their brain, their imagination. They remember what that teaching was because they remember the image. And I remember the first time I read this in the latter part of that book, when Kate said, Maddie was addicted to progress. To the idea that her life would move in one vector, always forward, always improving, as opposed to the hills and valleys, the sideways and backward and upside down that adults eventually learn to accept as more closely resembling reality. Much of young adulthood is presented as a ladder, each run closer to success, or whatever our society has defined as success. 
Perhaps climbing the ladder is tiring, but it is not confusing. You're never left wondering if you've made the wrong choice or expended energy in the wrong direction because there is only one rung above you. Get good grades. Get better at your sport. Take the SAT. Do volunteer work. Apply to colleges. Choose a college. But then you get to college. And suddenly you're out of rungs. All these rungs you've trained to climb. And that ladder has turned into a massive tree with hundreds of sprawling limbs. And progress is no longer a thing you can easily measure because there, now there are thousands of paths to millions of destinations, and none are linear. None are linear. And I remember reading that going, oh my gosh, that is such a vivid picture. But the option we have every day and how we're going to invest our energies, our emotions, our resources to build really what, what is, we think, the good life. That's really what this is all about. Who has the good life? And so we're going to take four weeks to really go through analyzing this concept of, of trees and ladders. And I want to give you an overview right now, and I want to make sure that as you look at this, some of you will write this down. This side, the ladder side, is not the bad side. So often what happens with this is we get real binary thinking. This is the good side, this is the Jesus side, and this is the bad side that you need to squelch, that you need to shut down. Now, I'm going to talk about how to get off the ladder climb solely. Well, but before I say that, I want you to see this side is necessary. I, what I'm trying to say is I don't want any 16-year-old boy out there going, I heard Charlie say I don't need to work hard in school. That's what I heard him say this morning. <laughs> like, I, like, ditch the ladder. This is really important. And one of my, one of, one of our writers that many of us love, Dr. Uh, Richard Rohr, Richard is a Franciscan priest, and he wrote a book called The Immortal Diamond, in which he talked about the false self and the true self. And he makes a delineation that's really important in this subject matter. Ladder climbing is about the false self. It's about the ego. It, it, it is the thing that makes you get good grades. It is the thing that makes you practice hard. It is the thing that, that, that leads toward achievement. That's not a bad thing. It's just not your soul. It's not your soul. That's your true self. That's the part of you that is immortal. That is the part of you, the diamond that's being fashioned in the heat and the time and the pressure of life. A, you know, a diamond is just a piece of coal that stayed on the job. That's your soul. That's your soul. And so one of the things that we'll learn through this is just know, hey, get those grades. Work to get a good ACT score. It's just not your soul. That's the false self. That's the, right now, you're seeing my false self. That's what you're seeing. You're seeing the part of me that's worked really hard to learn to communicate in front of a lot of people and, and, and worked really hard to, to become a thinker and when all I really want to do is think about football all the time. That's really all I ever really want to do. But all those things, that's, that's my false self. It, does everybody get this? Everybody understand this? It's not, it's not the bad self. 
The latter claim is about things that are measurable. And you'll see when we talk about priorities, this is huge because a lot of us were drawn to just those things that can be measured because we get what? We get feedback. Because it's immediate feedback. When the things of the soul are not measurable, they're not really measurable. The things that last forever, you probably can't measure it. And there's a reason why the, the tree climbing person sometimes look like they're a fool. This one's all about competencies. That's good. You need competencies. Uh, good luck living if you don't develop competencies. You need those. But this is about character. And that always has to come before competency. This is about desires and cravings. And, that, and that's a good thing that we have these desires within us that eventually under Christ become the greatest desires to honor God, to glorify God. That becomes, But that starts because out of our youth, our childlikeness, we have these inner cravings, these desires. But, th but this, this is not the opposite. This is, this is not the, the statement of satisfaction, I don't need to work hard. Contentment is not that. Contentment is now I live out of an overflow of my soul is at rest. And now what achievement I experience is, is out of a rest. Isn't that interesting? Hebrews chapter 4 says, in Jesus we enter his rest. Well, we become no longer ambitious? No. It's just a different deal. It's the kind of achievement that builds the soul, not shrinks the soul. Look at this one. This one is all about organized things. And I'm all for organization. But this is about the stuff of life that cannot be organized. It's more organic. Real interesting thing is we venture into the parenting application of this, we certainly know that today we're real high on the organized part, are we not? With, with sometimes forgetting that it is those unplanned moments that are the moments that your kids will remember. It's amazing. You're going to work really hard to plan the perfect, and what they'll remember is the stuff you didn't plan. I've learned throughout this last four or five months the words of John Lennon all too well, life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. It is. And life is what happens to you when you're busy saying, hey, I'm going to do this. And as James says, we'll go this to there. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Life is so organically fragile. You can't organize your way out of the reality of life's uncertainty but that's what we're trying to do. Now, I'm going to explain this. This is about Monopoly. This is about the Ted Lasso party game. Now, there are two kinds of people in the world, those who love Ted Lasso and those who have never watched it. There are two kinds of people. Now, I don't know if you've watched Ted Lasso, and I want to say this, about 5% of it is blatantly inappropriate, okay? Um, God bless Roy, but he uses the F word like an artist. And I'm not endorsing that, okay? But what I am saying is this. This is all about acquisition, dominate. Do you know what the objective, Addie Dobson gave me uh, a, a gift this week of the Ted Lasso party game. You know what the objective of the Ted Lasso party game is? Is to build the morale of your teammates. That's the objective. That's how you win. Did you build others up? That's how you win the Ted Lasso party game. So for all of you non-competitive freaks out there, then you'll want to pick up the, the, the Ted Lasso party game while the rest of us are enjoying Monopoly and dominating all the time, right? 
Now look at this, look at this. What is, what, what do they have in common? What do they have in common? I'm going to answer that at the end as we go through this process of looking at the life of the most influential follower of Jesus in history. As he wrote these words, he's in prison. It's toward the end of his run. And sitting in prison, with many of the churches that he had established to pass the gospel of Christ onto people like you and like me, floundering like crazy, floundering like crazy, he writes these words. He says, no, you, you, you Christians in Philippi, the city of Philippi, I want you to know that what has happened to me, brothers and sisters, has actually served to advance the gospel. Look at this statement. He's in prison. That's not exactly what he thought was going to be the trajectory of his life when Jesus tapped him on the shoulder and said, you're going to be my instrument to the Gentile nations. You're going to be the way the gospel reaches the United States of America in the year 2022. It'll start with you, Paul. That's essentially, we would not be here without it. And, and he's in prison. Did I, was there... Was there a miscommunication in heaven somewhere? What, 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 did I do something wrong? That here I am in prison. Now, 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 now. We know that because he was in prison, this achievement-oriented, ambitious personality, he was, he was, he was, uh, it's easy to say, as ambitious as any person Jesus ever tapped on the shoulder, that he would find himself in prison and that's what made him write letters that make up most of the New Testament. Isn't that amazing? I really, when I hear people say, well, I'm a preacher, but I don't preach, preach Paul's stuff because I don't know about Paul's stuff. Oh, my gosh. This, this, these writings were the most influential scripture ever written, the Holy Scriptures. And he writes these, and we get these, today because he was in prison and he says as a result it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard that was the elite top 100 of roman praetorians the trained guards the the secret service it has become clear to them and everyone else that i'm in chains for christ and because of my chains most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul, if we hadn't watched what you did with your faith while in prison, we wouldn't know what it is to be bold. And the very thing that looks like a failure is actually the very thing that leads to his highest impact. Now, there's a really, 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 really important lesson with this, and that lesson, number one, is this one. Failure is not an event. Failure is the interpretation of an event. Am I speaking to someone right now where you feel like a failure? You're in a prison of failure, and you don't know how to get out, and you feel like uh, if you don't really work your way out of this and scrape your way out of this, that you're going to be perceived a failure, you're going to be living in a van down by the river, and all your family is going to be looking at you someday as this big F on your forehead failure. And we always need to remember that even a life like the Apostle Paul embodies this idea that failure is not an event, it is the interpretation of an event. Um, the, the interesting thing about the ladder climb, and this is why, I, I, we, we're at Fairmont right now, 
Wednesday afternoons and just when you stand in front of 30 or 40 students and you see the pressure on their faces. Part of it I know is because in this culture, when you're in the ladder climbing game, falling down one rung can be devastating. Just one rung. You don't have to fall up the ladder. When you stop progressing, oh my gosh, this is a disaster. Because this is the game, correct? We're playing Monopoly here. We're not in the generosity business when we're playing Monopoly and climbing ladders. And so one of the things, we do this every once in a while, one of the things uh, that is really plaguing students is, and whether you realize it or not, if you're a high-functioning family, which I say is a family that pays their bills, okay? So our rung on high-functioning is not real high. I'm just saying, if you're a high-functioning family, when you walk into the room, your student feels the pressure of your achievement. You have to operate from there. The temperature in the room goes up. The higher-functioning you are, the more they're likely to think, I don't think I have what it takes to be that. Because you know what? They don't at that point. They don't. They're, they're brain damaged. Their brains aren't fully, fully formed yet. And they don't. And so one of the things that is really important to do is what we do around here every few years, I think it's been four or five years since I've done this, is we do a, a, a mass confession on failure. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, students, I want you to watch this. I'm going to give categories. And whenever you failed in, the, in this category, I want you to raise your hand and hold it up till the end. Okay? Here, here we go. Any of you ever fail a test? Ever been cut from a team? Failed an audition? Fired from a job? Uh, didn't get a job you applied for? You desired a promotion and didn't get it? Ever blown an assignment? Missed the critical play at the end of the game? If you've ever said the wrong thing at the wrong time? Eaten with the wrong fork? If you've ever experienced moral, athletic, academic, social, financial, vocational, relational failure of any kind, raise your hand right now and hold it up. Turn to the person next to you and say, welcome to the failure club. <laughs> now, how many of you, you've never failed, but he looks like he's a loser right here. You know, sitting next to me looks like, they, yeah, maybe. Now, some of you didn't raise your hand, and, and so you're failing at telling the truth right now. That's what you're failing at. Failure telling the truth. Because failure is a part of life. To be a human being is to end up in a jail cell sometimes when you go, how did I end up here? And as a three on the Enneagram, which we, we tend to measure our worth by what we achieve, I know ladder climbing. Man, I know ladder climbing at its best, and I have had to struggle my whole life with, with for me, falling down one rung can feel like I am a complete and utter failure. That, that is, any other threes here though, exactly what I'm talking about? It'll make me feel like an utter failure just to slide down one rung. Well, that's really interesting because I'm in a profession that it is constant failure. It is constant failure. And what do you do with that? Well, one of the things you do is you identify what success really is. And that's what we're going to do with this series. Because we think of the opposite of failure is success. That's what we think of. We think of it binarily like that. And it's not true. Tell me something. What, what would the world call a trial lawyer who is a severely functioning alcoholic, has been divorced three times, 
has three kids who are addicted to drugs and will not speak to him. They are so spiteful of him. Never gives a dime to charity. Doesn't have any close friendships. But he's the senior partner in a law firm. Makes $800,000 a year. Owns three houses and four sports cars. What would our world call that person? A success or a failure? Successful. I mean, you know, I mean, you're in church. The answer is always Jesus, isn't it? The answer is always, you know, that. I know that. But we, we do know that outside even there we would say, that person's a success. Well, that's what getting a 32 on your ACT can get you if that's all it's about. That's what it can get you if life is just about climbing ladders. But if you redefine success as something totally different, then all of a sudden, failure is not an event. That's, especially that's catastrophic. Failure is how we interpret it. And often it's our failures that lead to our highest impact. One of the things on this, parents, is this. A real quick note on this. I would say this is the most in, uh, reciprocal statement that I've made to parents that I get the feedback on. And that is that they'll say, hey, thank you for telling us this. Be careful what and how you praise. Praise effort, not results. Why? It's because most people who are ladder climbers were conditionally loved as children. They only got praised when they got the right grades, when they, when they hit the winning home run, etc. And so they learned the only way I'm valuable is if I achieve and climb and keep going up, addicted to progress. And we unknowingly do this when all we do is affirm results. And so one of the things on this, this comes from Carol Dweck, I didn't make this up, is she said, make sure you praise effort. Because in the end of the day, a grid is the only talent that matters. How many of us have seen talented people who didn't achieve a thing because, because they didn't have grit? And so always always praise effort, not result. And with this, this is a great, great tip. I wish I'd have known this. Try not to say, I'm so proud of you. Because that just builds in. When you do something right, that makes me feel good. Try to say, you should be proud of yourself. Because that tells them that their grit is something that they can control and that really matters in the end anyway. Here's another lesson. You can step off the ladder climb at any point. Has anyone ever told you this? Parents of children living into what one of our people calls the road to nowhere, youth sports. The road to nowhere. Uh, has anyone ever told you that like the Apostle Paul, you can say, nope, I'm not going to climb the ladder anymore. Here's what I mean by that. Paul was uh, the ultimate Jewish ladder climber. He was going up and to the right when it came to his life. Look at what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, I myself have reasons to have confidence in myself, in my flesh, he uses the term, in my capabilities, my earthly capabilities. Oh, I, he said, someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh. I have more. I, I, didn't, I didn't find this later in life. I was circumcised as a baby. Eighth day, the sign of Abraham, the sign of the covenant. I, I've been raised in this, uh, of the people of Israel. This is, when someone wanted to say I'm really in, they didn't just say I'm a Jew. They said I'm of Israel. I'm of Jacob. I'm of Jacob. I'm the, I'm the real deal. 
of the tribe of Benjamin, the elite tribe in Israel was Benjamin's tribe, the only tribe that was established in the promised land, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm not one of those, I'm not one of those Hebrews who goes off to different parts of the world and forgets how to speak Hebrew. No, I can still speak to you in Hebrew because it is the language of our people. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, this was the elite of the elite on course to become a Supreme Court justice is what he was. That was a Pharisee. They're the ones who were known for their strict adherence to the law. They were the supermen of the faith. As for zeal, persecuting the church, the highest thing you could be as an Israelite would be zealous for the faith. And if that meant stamping out the enemies of the faith, then you did that. And boy, did he do that well as he persecuted Christians. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Faultless. Now, before I get to this one, I want you to see something here. Jesus taps him on the shoulder one day and says, uh, Paul, I want to redirect your life a little bit here. And I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer for my name, but you're going to take my message to the non-Jewish world. This man who spoke multiple languages, who was an intellect, this is what people don't realize when they talk about, I don't preach Paul, I don't preach Paul. You're talking about a giant philosophically and intellectually. A giant. I always get amazed by people who say that. I don't think you're in his category of smarts. I'm just going to tell you that right now. And you know what? One day he said, I'm, I'm not on that ladder. That's what Philippians is saying. Now, this doesn't mean we quit our jobs. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden we stop trying to improve our state of being. But it does mean especially for parents has anyone told you, you, can, you don't have to live sucked into the vortex of this culture that constantly keeps you craving, constantly keeps you climbing ladders? You know, parents need to be heard this, because I know when our kids were young, I got sucked into the competitive vortex of youth sports. I look back on that now, I got sucked right into that. I was kind of a willing participant, but I got sucked right into it. I look back on that now, and I wish someone had told me, you know, this isn't right. This whole ladder climbing thing. We've taken the organic transformative value out of it by making it a transaction of ladder climbing. You, you, you can shift your investment. You don't have to live the way everyone else says you have to live. You don't have to do that. But I know, but little Jimmy won't get the scholarship. Well, little Jimmy, if he's not good enough, he's not going to get the scholarship no matter how many teams he plays on. And we, you hear us say this, that the truth of the matter is, if you look at investment of families who are Christian, you know this to be true. They are more investing that their child make it into Harvard than heaven make it into them. That, that actually is what gets their heart pumping. And sometimes we just have to stand up and say, you know what? This, this, this is important. Scott, are you here? Scott Griswold, are you here? Are you over there? No, Scott, he went to Harvard. Scott, is Harvard important? It is. But I know him. I know what's most important to him. It's the reality of God's kingdom. And so when it comes to this idea of trees and ladders, what I'm saying is, is the latter part is important but some of us who are Christian are really imbalanced. That leads to the third lesson, because 
this is a question of how we view success. However you view success gets exposed in the investment of your resources, your energies, and your emotions. Tell me what upsets you, and I'll tell you what's most important to you. Tell me where your calendar is and where your money's going, and I'll tell you what your kingdom really is that you're after. And so Christ, you know, we know this. He views success very differently than the world views success. And here's the irony of that. The irony of that is the more successful you are, the easier it is to forget that. That's the irony of it. Is actually the better you are at playing the game of climbing the ladder, the easier it is to forget what really matters in the end. What really, 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 really matters in the end. I'm just like you, I, I'm a pastor. I know I'm supposed to get the God thing, but every day I have to remind myself of, of the four priorities of my life in this order. I am fourthly a professional with a calling. That's fourth. Thirdly, a parent with a responsibility to my children and grandchildren. I'm secondly, a partner with a responsibility to share it. And I'm first, a child of God, a person with a responsibility to my Heavenly Father. The more successful you are, the easier it'll be for you to invert those priorities. Because God doesn't, at least He does it with me, contact me every day and say, you're a nine on a scale of one to ten today, buddy. You keep going. Keep going. On the measurement scale of spirituality, you're right there. Doesn't do that. But boy, can I get measurable feedback for my professional call. I can, I can get measurable. 131 baptisms. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's awesome. You'd be amazed. I know this would shock you how pastors can take that the wrong way as if they really had a lot to do with it. It's, it's amazing how when you, when you, the more you have an effect professionally, the more likely you are to invert those priorities. They say, well, what, you know, you know what's, what's the big deal with that? What's the big deal with that? Well, one of my favorite writers of all time was the late, great Bob Benson. If you ever want to read good Christian reading of the guy who just had humor and told great stories, uh, Bob Benson was your guy. And, um, he told a story one time, he was, he was asked to speak at his son's graduation ceremony. And as you would always want to do with your child, you want to make a good impression. You want your child to be embarrassed. And so he said he, he went out, and not only did he prepare a speech that he really felt good about, but he went out and bought a new three-piece suit. Because he wanted to look sharp. And he got up, graduation, gave this speech. He felt so good about it just delivered it. The content and the delivery were spot on. And sure enough, one of his friend's buddies came up to him after the talk. And he said, Mr. Benson, I really liked your talk. But did you know that the whole time you were up there, your, your vest on your suit was all cockeyed? You just love it when after you pour your heart out speaking, people come up to you and say something like that, but he did. And he, he looked down and he goes, oh, I looked down, and sure enough, he was right. Every button was one off. <laughs> and then he said, you know, I thought about it, and it's really easy to get every button off. It's just missed the first one. 
just get the first part. And the rest of them will be caught back. And I know we're living in the tension of Harvard and heaven in this culture. And I know ACT scores matter. And I know touchdowns matter. All that. But I think there are a lot of you got to ask yourself if my children look at really what makes me upset where we invest our time and money what I say is first would they say is first God Christ his kingdom or would they say oh no 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 dad golf's first dad tennis is first pickleball's first football's first boating's first fishing's first Politics are first. Autonomy is first. I mean, some of you are watching online now. It's awesome you're doing that. The reason you're doing that, you're not here, is you want autonomy. You don't want community, you want autonomy. You're not making an investment in building the kingdom of Christ. It's your kingdom you're building, and this helps, and that's wonderful. Keep climbing the ladder. But someday, someday, will all see the answer to the question of what do the Monopoly game and the Ted Lasso party game have in common? I'm just telling you, someday, someday we're going to find this out to be true. When the game is over, all the bucks, the Monopoly, and all the biscuits, Ted Lasso, go back in the box. Then what? Then what? One day, the ladder's over. One day, the tree is gone. And then what? You see, a successful person in Christ's eyes, I can tell you what it is. It's just not amb ambiguous. He said, here's what a successful person, he used different language, he said, I'll tell you this, is a person who loves the Lord their God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength, and loves their neighbor as they love themselves. That is the person on the team. That's the one who has a good life. Find your ladders, mend your nets, fishermen. But if you could have been a fisher of men and women and, you, and you, you didn't have time for that because you were climbing ladders, then you missed it. This wise old uncle who was sitting with his nephew at his graduation party said, well, nephew, what are you going to do with your life? Said, well, you know, uh, uncle, I'm going to go to college and get a degree. Said, but then? settle into a career and have a, a good career. Oh, good. What then? Well, I think about, I'm going to make a lot of money. Oh, good. What then? So, well, you know, I think I'll raise a family. And uh, that's good. What then? So, you know, one day I'll retire and hopefully travel the world. the bucks, all the biscuits are back in the box, and you'll be looking at, did I live my life 
that I raised my kids and what really mattered was what was measured. Or did we really, did our kids really know that it, what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world and they forfeit their soul? But in the end, what matters is to love God and love people and to build his kingdom. So I've been on this journey for the last five months of levels of uncertainty. When you have cancer and heart attack introduced into your life, it, it changes the game. But the big reason I shared that is because I don't want to build my kingdom. I want to build his kingdom. And one of the ways to do that is do the things that have happened to me, do they serve to advance the gospel? And um, I want to lead into communion a bit. Because of all the songs that I've reconnected with, wrestling with God through this, the, the number one point of today I love God and I love people more than I did five months ago. I didn't. Okay, good. And the song that I keep listening to every morning through my solitude is, is an old song called The Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. And I try to get through We've had some really good solitude through this season. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, and free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of his love, leading onward, leading homeward, to thy glorious rest above. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Tis a heaven of heavens to me, and it lifts me, lifts me up to glory, or it lifts me up to thee. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus spreads his praise from shore to shore. How he loveth, ever loveth, changeth never, never more. And of all the things I could tell you today, Danny, what the things that happen to you, may they draw you to love God more and love people more and all your ladder climbing and all your tree climbing will lead to his praise and not yours. Amen? Amen? Yeah, let's pray. So Father, we thank you as a church. We've had an emotional month on so many levels, not the least of which the amazing experience of last Sunday watching the reenactment of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I, for me, watching people watching, watching the church, people had other things to do, say, I'm going to be present for that. It's just, to me, it's just, because this is the stuff, it's not measurable, that builds character, that builds Christ. And today, all the things we could say about ladder climbing and tree climbing, may today the deep, deep love of Jesus capture our hearts and souls because we'll never need another sermon on ladder climbing if that happens. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Have a great week.